Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Go to that address. There are two links. The first is the podcast link. Uh, That's the one that gives you, well, the top of the list will be this show. Well, for as long as this show is this show, uh, and uh, until there's another show that comes by after it. But the top of the list is this show, as I say this today. The next uh, link will give you our radio loop that is that rather unique, I gather, uh, honestly. Uh, I, I know of no other talk show source doing this. That gives you a second way of listening to this show as though, as if, uh, as if by wizardry, uh, as if you were flicking on a radio uh, in in some age past and picking up a talk show uh, at whatever point the show happened to be. Well, that's what the radio loop is all about. You will pick up the show on the radio loop wherever it happens to be. Because it's running constantly in a loop, in, I guess, a radio-ish sort of way. Stay with the show. Stay to the end. Hey, I like that. Hey, that's interesting. Good, because it's going to restart in about three or four seconds, and you get to hear the part that you may have missed from the beginning if you listen to it that way. So either way, we're glad you're with us. And um, here at at Center Left Radio, it's... uh, Uh, It's the, let's see, it's the 11th of July. We are still, uh, the arc of time, the arrow of time is still moving forward, at least our perception of it is. The the physicists, theoretical and otherwise, tell us that uh, time basically has no obligatory direction. For whatever reason, we happen to be perceiving it in the particular direction that it runs now. Uh, we have, um, there's an entropic element here. Things appear to decay. But once again, entropy, which is part of things decaying in a forward-moving direction, has no, uh, no functional, no mathematical imperative that it has to go in one direction. Things can unentrope. Time can go in a different direction. I, I, I guess uh, it's theoretically possible. Uh, we, we could repeat things, I suppose. No, no one's quite figured out exactly uh, what the full implications of this are from a, from a practical perspective. There's, there's a science fiction kind of a notion as to where it all goes. Uh, going Suddenly going backwards in time and, and repeating uh, things, I, I imagine, including mistakes. Um, one might imagine that included in that looking backwards situation, uh, we, we, it could be a relatively recent backwards movement. Uh, I, would, I would imagine a nation like Russia might repeat 
mistakes. I, by the way, I've gone, I've gone really out of my way to try to make a, a rather, uh, uh, I don't want to call it cute, no, but, but, but a rather pithy kind of a, uh, a connective uh, tissue here that, that waltzes me into the point that I'm trying to make. I'm not doing it as well as I hoped I would. Frequently, these things just sort of work out on their own. This one isn't. I think I'm, I think I'm going to uh, simply dive off a verbal cliff here and go where I want to go with this story without trying to do it a little bit too craftily at this point. Please uh, for, for, forgive my, my otherwise less than uh, crafty efforts to get where I'm going. There have been Russian leaders who have done less than good stuff for their country. In, in, in retrospect, uh, I would argue that maybe, uh, with, with few exceptions, the Soviet leaders were a progressive, a, pro a progression, not progressive, a progression of leaders that invariably brought it to, brought the Soviet Union uh, to its knees. By the, by the, by the time that, uh, by the time you got to the last of that group, uh, basically there was nowhere else to go. And, and, and the argument, I imagine, would, might be that the latter group, the, the, the last of the leaders, uh, you know, in the fact that they basically uh, took Russia uh, or took the Soviet Union out of the business of being the Soviet Union, therefore did something smart and progressive. But it, it was more as though they were simply riding the arrow of history. That's kind of where I was trying to uh, end the analogy or the, or the, or the literary uh, connections that I was working on earlier. Um, but invariably, all were part of a constant downward motion because the fundamental notion of the communist state and the assumptions it made about its people and how people would react, the psychology that it permitted within its governmental structures and the governmental structures that therefore came into being basically were doomed uh, to collapse under their own uh, profound weight as government and the people became further and further separated, at least in the sense of one having some influence over the other. Well, as far as people having an influence over government, government had total and all controlling influence over people. And it, it, it seems as though, it seems as though that P Putin, his ascendancy, and, and Medvedev, you know, was sort of in there and everything, but, but the last 20 years now with Putin, the notion seems to have been that a constitutional Russia with, with constitutional constructs in there and, and free elections, supposedly, and freedom of the press, supposedly, and, and better economic ties and, and, and more free market activity. Boy, this was the beginning of Russia really becoming one with the nations of the world. Well, one would have to question that assumption at this point because it seems, 
it seems that with with Mr. Putin's uh, now lock, just vice-like lock on power that's going on over 20 years right now, and 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 the Russian people seemingly uh, pretty much okay with this, uh, the that that entropic kind of process that seems to have beset the Soviet Union is once again exposing itself in the Russian Federation. Now, yes, yes, I know, I know. I've, and I've been hearing this from people who I know who I thought knew better, that, wait a minute, the whole business with Russia and Ukraine, don't you understand that there were treaties set up over here, that this was supposed to be this way, that you really can't get in between, that this is nothing but a regional uh, issue, and that, that, that it, it, we really shouldn't be involved. I'm still hearing that now. After, after everything that's gone on, after, after more than a year of this uh, invasion... No, it's not a. It's not a. It's not a military operation. It's not. It's not a. Uh, I don't know what the hell uh, Vladimir would call it at this point, but it's a series of losses, and it, it is. It is a an attempt at a territorial grab, and it's not working particularly well. Now, part of the rationale. Invariably, and, and, and again, do I have do I have written documentation on this? No, I only have we only have Putin's word that NATO uh, was a, a thorn in his side, and that NATO basically was an anachronistic uh, institution that was bothering the hell out of him and had no business existing. I've heard that, again. I've heard this from from my from some of my smart friends over here in the, in America that basically there really was no it was it was basically a cold war sort of a situation and we had no purpose for it and and certain and by implication well it was for cold war so if there's a hot war I mean, this is how nuts you can extend the logic, you know, how nuttily it can sound. Uh, a hot war, well, it still wouldn't have a purpose because it's not a cold war or something kind of crazy like that. And, and we, we, we just don't want to be angry at Putin and Russia. We, we sort of, I don't know why, we, we sort of, we expect them, if you leave them alone, they'll evolve nicely. No, th th that's not what has happened. Uh, the, uh, the special military operation, a.k.a. the invasion of Ukraine, yes, may have historic and, and ancient antagonisms, and the Ukrainians, are, are, especially in eastern Ukraine, are very, very close to, to the Russians in many ways, and blah, blah, blah. But in the end... Ukraine is an independent country who had, which had plenty of problems of its own. Its corruption issues are, are, are legendary, but it got pulled together largely when Russia decided that this was the moment, when Vladimir Putin decided that this was the moment that history was beckoning him to now annex Ukraine and to basically create yet another front against NATO, and to basically give NATO uh, a, 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 sort of a, an indirect bloody nose, 
and, and put it on its heels and get them fighting within themselves and arguing about what Russia might do and whether or not we don't want to find ourselves in an Article 5 situation where we would have to defend a... We, what are we, what, why are we even hanging out together? And, 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 and Vladimir, and again, his, his, his announced uh, antipathy towards NATO, I'm sure anticipated that this uh, walk in the park, a, a Rumsfeldian uh, six months and then at max, and then we'll go home and it'll all be ours and we'll pay for it with, with Iraq's oil, that, that kind of mentality, that, that that would basically put everyone on notice in NATO not to mess with Russia and would give Russia that much more power. And you remember, I mean, I hope you remember, that he began surrounding uh, Ukraine. Uh, he started uh, using, they were positioning not only on the Russian border, but the Belarusian war, uh, border and all the tanks sitting there. And people kept saying, no, there's no way. In there. And there was a, there was a uh, I remember there was a ballet recital that was supposed to be taking place somewhere in, in, somewhere in an eastern Ukrainian city. And, and people still went there with their kids saying, it's it's all it's all a show. He's not going to do it. It's too nuts. It's too stupid. The downside is overpowering, but no one took into account the ego and the and the bizarre sense of of of, of, of manifest destiny that seems to drive Mr. Putin. He's a weird guy. He's a crafty guy. He's got a lot really uh, going on inside of him. And he basically would have to have defied a lot of common sense and reason and everything else to go ahead and have his uh, military, a special military uh, action uh, going into Ukraine. Nothing made a great deal of sense. The only thing would be to come up with some cockamamie uh, political uh, justification, like, oh, something as crazy as uh, we're, we're purging Nazis uh, out of the government there. Uh, and, and, and the, uh, oh, that's right. That's what he did. That's what he did say. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're, they were busy purging Nazis, uh, uh, you know, reticent Nazis that had still were still, I imagine, still hanging around, uh, not exactly youthful, but probably uh, had maybe it was grandchildren or great grandchildren of original Nazis that had started new uh, new cells somewhere within Ukraine, and by God. We have to purge them. Hey, remember that, Russia? Remember when we dealt with the Nazis back when? Well, here's where they all wound up. And you're not stupid enough to believe, are you? Well, that they all went away. No, of course, they're in Ukraine, right? And, and, and that's even, that's, that, that's credible, isn't it? And here we are, what is it now, about a year and a half later. And... What was supposed to, uh, basically, uh, the, the change in the map, which was supposed to, or at least the change in the political structure 
of Western Europe, the, the weakening of NATO, the, the loosening of the ties of NATO, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the growth in Russian strength and dominance and presence, and quite honestly, the, the affiliation between Russia and China, which was now supposed to represent the new order in the East, and that further giving, uh, making the knees of NATO knock together rather strongly. That whole structure, it, it, it hasn't quite happened that way. Putin finds himself in a situation where his military capability is highly questionable at this point. Yes, he's got, he's, got, he's got aircraft, and he's got nuclear weapons. That's kind of all he's got. He, rather than uh, eliminating totally, I'm sure he could have eliminated uh, the uh, head of the Wagner Group, uh, well, the stories go, at least the most, uh, there are several reports that, no, no, they, they got back together. He and, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, something or other, I, I can't think of the, 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 the crazy guy who was the head of Wagner. Uh, he and Putin have met. And, and have, I gather some, I, I don't think he had him assassinated, not on the spot. And, and somehow, it, it would seem to suggest that, no, I need these mercenaries. I need, th this is necessary. Vladimir Putin has been reduced uh, more than a year into his attempt to destroy, to well, to take over, to walk in, to, to plant the Russian flag in Kiev. He has been reduced to negotiating with a group of mercenaries who ran a who ran a uh, a revolt against his government we're, we're, we're rolling up the highway to Moscow and ha while Russian troops looked the other way didn't attack them just let them roll in to see where the hell this was going to wind up and in the end Putin now it seems it seems has had to make his peace with this guy because clearly it's necessary. This is, not, this is not what you do out of strength. It's been largely kept out of the media that this secondary meeting has taken place. Now, you add to that the fact that the, uh, the annual meeting of NATO is currently, right now as we speak, uh, taking place in, um, in Vilnius, in uh, Lithuania, and one of the Balkan countries, or what, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the Baltic countries, and, and one of the countries that uh, are obviously part of NATO, were part of the Soviet Union. And what has happened uh, so far is that, well, already Finland, who had never, ever, ever been a part and, and really wanted to maintain neutrality at all costs. Finland that has nearly a 1,000 mile border with Russia is now a member of NATO. And shortly, based on, a, um, based on an agreement that I gather was brokered by Joe Biden, perhaps others, uh, Turkey, who uh, and Erdogan from Turkey, who had basically been um, poo-pooing or or standing in the way of 
uh, Swedish admission, you, 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 you have to understand that any member of NATO can basically put in a veto. It's, it's, it's as if NATO was a large, one large security council, the equivalent of a UN security council, and any one member could veto any action or any, or any pronouncement that would otherwise be issued. Well, NATO had the same situation, and Erdogan in Turkey kept vetoing Sweden. And it winds up that Erdogan was basically negotiating for something that he, he was using. He was using Russian jets, believe it or not. Member of, of NATO <laughs> using Russian jets, a, a rather strange. Well, that's about to change also, apparently. Apparently, that's the story we're here. There's, there's been no official announcement as to why Erdogan suddenly uh, decided to uh, remove his opposition to Sweden. But it has to do with, I'm getting something I want. Undoubtedly, we'll we'll find all that out in a little in a little longer, which would make I'm sure Greece wouldn't be terribly happy about uh, if 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 American fighter jets. Well, whatever we we'll we'll see how that works out. But Erdogan has dropped his opposition. That means that very shortly Sweden will also be a member. Ukraine is positioning itself to be a member. Wants to be wants to be short tracked. But even the United States is saying, maybe you're not totally ready, although there are members of NATO who are pushing in that direction. Now, in a, in a war situation as Ukraine is in right now, if it, let's say, tomorrow were to become fast-tracked or be given the actual technical membership that it seeks, well, that would instantly trigger, trigger an Article 5 situation in which uh, all members will instantly come to the military, the territorial defense of any member that is attacked from without. I would, I would, I would imagine even from within. I, I, that would be an interesting situation if one NATO member attacked another NATO member. How would that work? I don't, I don't know what the story is on that. There's, there's also an Article 4 situation, though. And NATO can... By, by joint statement, offer assistance of all other sorts to a regional, regional state in order to prevent, uh, uh, prevent it, it, it being uh, uh, influenced or attacked or otherwise hurt by a non-member, by another non-member state. There, there's, I, I have to go back and reread Article 4 in its entirety and understand this, but I've been told by people who, whose opinions I respect and I know, know this stuff better than I do, that there is an Article 4 declaration that could be made by NATO now, which would put, which would remove the constant uh, need to reassert or reaffirm the uh, next round of assistance and everybody has to re-agree what we're going to give and when we're going to give it. Under an Article 4 declaration, that assistance, the military assistance, the information, the, the logistical assistance, the command and control assistance that is out there, the, the, the cash, the flow, the weaponry, all of that would be on a 
ongoing basis. No need to renew the Article 4 declaration. It's there. It's the uh, it's kind of the opposite of where NATO is right now, where there's this constant need to regenerate support for Ukraine, where, where, you know, Zelensky has to show up and he has to come out, not really quite hat in hand. He's learned how to, how to manipulate this process very well, and I, I mean that in a positive way, and come away with what he needs. Well, he, he, that, none of that would be necessary if there were an Article 4 declaration made. So I'm, I'm figuring on that. Probably, not, that could very well be considered or might even occur during this NATO conference or probably not long after. But what we know will happen, if not during, but very, very shortly thereafter, after the conference, is that Sweden will be a member. Two new members will have entered, uh, entered NATO. Sweden with a massive military capability and has always been a partner with NATO in many of the actions that NATO has taken uh, in, in, in all sorts of exercises, but would now directly work as a NATO member and be bound by the Article 5 process, adding that much larger a military arsenal and a, uh, an, a apparently an, a highly sophisticated military uh, force capability to the very, very considerable uh, group that is representative of NATO now. There was, a, there was an interesting map that showed up uh, that I saw yesterday evening. And, and it showed NATO, the, the, the current membership of NATO, against uh, Russia. And there is, and it was, I, I believe it was, was it in green or, or blue? I forget what it was. And then the, the, it was all, there was this solid, solid block of everything the eye could see in, in Europe, east of the Russian border, except for Belarus, which was, uh, you know, which, is a, which affiliates itself with Russia, and Ukraine, obviously, which is in flux right now, but in the middle of pursuing a counteroffensive and could be the object of an Article 4 declaration by NATO. And for the moment, for the moment, Sweden, which will be part of that same mass of color, except basically for practical purposes, except for Ukraine and Belarus, there the entire Russian border is covered by NATO, is absolutely covered by NATO. And Ukraine, for all intents and purposes, is, uh, well, there's going to have to be a solution to this. And, and something that no one talks about a lot is that there's going to have to be a Chinese connection to that solution. Re recall that, I think it was like 16 or 17 months ago, 
there was a, an agreement of absolute open commitment, no holes barred, mutual support document signed between China and Russia. There was a, uh, they were shaking hands, you know, Vladimir and Xi Jinping were, you know, they, they, were, they were just, uh, they, 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 they were just thrilled by this. And, and, and this is what Russia thought it needed to basically begin this, uh, that, would, that was part of the strong arming of NATO to basically put them in a position where they would feel so humiliated by the force of Russia with Big Daddy China standing behind them that, that everybody would just cower and fall apart and, and NATO would, would cease to function as a meaningful institution. Well, the, what's happened is that China has warned Russia, you know, it's the, this partner of its, <laughs> that it damn well had better not be using nuclear uh, bombs. It may not go in that direction. That there is, I, I, one would have to assume they better keep their fingers away from the nuclear power plants in Ukraine also. And that there is going to have to be an end to this madness right now. That China will not risk its economic position in the world or, or its military status in the face of an extremely strong NATO in order to, to basically back up the, uh, the, the egomaniacal, the, the megalomaniacal, the, the apocalyptic uh, goals of a guy who is sort of stuck in this notion of greater mother Russia, uh, empire, uh, the good old days, as his country is basically going deeper and deeper into economic decline at the same time. And yes, the, the sanctions put against Russia by the West, by pretty much the, everyone that I've read, on this are having an effect. That might not have been the case six months ago, eight months ago. But the Western sanctions against Russia are beginning to really, really come home to roost. Now that puts China in this weird position. You know, we are fully committed to one another. Vladimir looking to uh, Xi Jinping and saying, you know, uh, hey, um, it includes propping up our economy and helping us when necessary, right? And, and, and we'll keep giving you cheap oil. All you got to do is prop us up. Uh, could you pay a little more for that oil? Could you, could you be a little more generous to us? You know, we, we need some assistance. It's putting China in the position, increasingly, of having to support a a lesser relative. And, and this is not a position that China wants to be in. You add to that the Wagner Group debacle and you understand the tenuous grip that Putin has on power. And if I'm China with my long view of things, the last thing I want to do is to commit to this guy for purposes of my future relationships with whatever and whoever will be ruling Russia and my ultimate need 
to balance out my own desires about, let's say, Taiwan and a few other things going on in the South China Sea, to balance that against the increased force of NATO. I, I don't want, I would think China thinks to itself, I would, I would be thinking this, I, I, I can't get into any, any Chinese internal discussions, but there's no way in hell we want to basically be propping up a guy who seems to be dead set on going down in history as perhaps the worst leader in the last, the worst Russian leader, the worst leader of either the Soviet Union or Russia, probably in the last hundred years. When, when the history of all this is written, and all of my fine, intelligent uh, uh, friends here in America basically running around and saying, well, basically all this is is a territorial dispute. It's, I'm still hearing this. It's none of our business. We really have no business being part of it. My God, you're actually still hearing this from people in America. I mean, what, what, with the insanity of American politics. And I'm, I'm talking to, uh, largely to our German listeners. We have a large group of people who listen to us in Germany the insanity of how American politics seems to be working right now. You, you, it, it's hard to imagine any, any, org, any, any major country wanting to support the, the, the whole Putinesque, Putaneska, uh, the, 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 whole Putin, the whole Putin structure that basically seems to be collapsing under its own weight. It doesn't have the military might, clearly, of its own, with the except with the Wagner Group will just give it so much also, but it doesn't seem to have the sustainable military capability to even keep a Ukrainian war going for a perpetual length of time. It, 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 as much as it keeps saying, as much as Vladimir keeps saying, we'll wear you out, Vladimir appears to be wearing Russia out. And he's going to be depending more and more on China and who knows, maybe North, well, I don't know, but, but, you know, North Korea, who knows? He can't depend wholly on himself. And there is a solid wall between him and Europe. There ain't no help coming there. He can't leverage gas, that's gone, or oil, that's, that's basically, that's history at this point. His, so that his income from that is, for all intents and purposes, I don't know if it's non-existent, I don't know how it's been cut, I don't know what supplies may be coming. I know that under U.S. sanctions, former Soviet states still have the ability to deal from an oil and, I think, gas perspective <clears throat> outside, of, um, outside of Russia and can even deal with the United States. But, I, I, again, this isn't good for Vladimir. And, and we're watching him 
holding on. We're watching him uh, trying to strut and be the one-man band and the little guy who walks through the huge empty space towards the large adoring crowd where there's no one anywhere near him because he stands alone and it's a question of individual power. And maybe, so far, someone is buying it. They're, they're buying this image and they're buying this story within Russia. The question is, for how much longer? By the time the next winter rolls in, will they, will the Russian people still be able to, to embrace the insanity of, the, of this Rumsfeldian fantasy about we're going to step in, we're going to go, and we're going to raise the flag in Kiev and basically extend Mother Russia's empire to re recapture our greater glory, and and the Orthodox Church will continue. Will they continue to ring their bells and 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 in total support of all this because of whatever deals have been struck with Vladimir, who claims to be a a religious man, of course. Uh, and, and the babushkas, the, mother, the, the grandmothers and the mothers who basically run Russian society will, keep it, will, will still manage to ignore the number of body bags bearing their sons and grandsons coming home. And, of course, none of that will make it to the media. And all that will be allowed to hear will be less and less about public reaction and the nature of Russia uh, in terms of its economic and social uh, uh, impact on the world until, of course, you see it in the results of international market-type regulation documentation that says that Russia isn't doing so great. I'm getting a little ahead of history over here, but that seems to be the trajectory. There is an entropic, an entropic trajectory for Mother Russia at this point. Here's, here's another thought. The rebuilding of Ukraine is going to be a major undertaking. The United States would be insane, and I'm, 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 I'm positing here, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm being the commentator. The United States would be insane not to bring China along to some extent to share in the fruits of the rebuilding process, or at least to begin talking to China now as a potential uh, a partner, contributor. Zelensky would have to be part of this, obviously. Uh, but China would get, its, would get its due once the uh, once the rebuilding begins, and they would be able to extend a certain amount of influence in Ukraine. It, it, it's my enemy's enemy, granted, but this would put China and Russia at further odds and would make the Russians all the more aware of the fact that the, that the deal they signed with China 17 months ago does not protect them in any true way, shape, or form. You're going to have, I, I am positive we'll be hearing more about that in time, as time rolls along, as entropy sets in further down the path. 
and we'll begin, uh, we'll begin hearing about some kind of negotiations going on with the U.S. and or the West and or NATO and or Ch and China that will be involved in first developing a peace situation so that, so that borders can then, at least a ceasefire, within which final borders, actual political borders, will be negotiated once and for all, and the rebuilding of that country can start, and the beginning of the tracking of Ukraine into NATO can proceed. You can't, I just can't see, I can't imagine it being done now and automatically triggering an Article 5, but we could trigger an Article 4 now, and that would carry us as far as we need to go to get to Ukraine to that situation. And then we all wait out. We wait out the, the demise of Putin and see now, and again, everybody goes, well, if we lose Putin, we're going to get even crazier than him. That may be the case. But we're going to have to lose Putin at some point because he's just not working out for Russia. Putin is to Russia what Donald Trump is to America. He's an image. He's a belief. He's, he's part of a... He, he's part of a um, a belief system. He's, he is basically a cult figure with absolutely or very little capability to actually practically lead and depending on an increasingly uh, smaller and smaller group of people to support him and give him leverage against a large group. Now, in, in Trump's case, this is, this, is, this is aggravated beyond belief. It's, it's an insanely nutty situation. You have a guy who is, who is uh, you know, twice indicted, uh, going to be indicted a few more times, basically now trying to negotiate uh, his way out of trials uh, before the presidential election of 2024 with the assumption that if he wins, he'll automatically pardon himself. This is the insanity of the Russian, of the American situation. Excuse me. Russia and the rest of the world must be looking at us and saying, "My God, how how insane can these Americans be? How could they even be imagining? Uh, how can you run a guy like that? Even even Brazil, you know, knows enough not to run, allow Bolsonaro to run again, but." The Americans, somehow, for failure of our system to have anticipated bullshit like this, uh, doesn't seem to have a way to deal with, uh, with Trump going forward, even though he is the representative of this, of this tiny minority, a, 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 an, an increasingly compressed minority of Americans. And, and we're operating under the notion, I've said this on many prior shows of late, that what we see today, the snapshot of Trump today, the, the relative strength within the Republican Party, and the, well, I don't see who else could possibly take over, and the failure to take into account what the effects of trial and approaching trial will be, and what's going to happen when the states begin to indict him, the, the failure to take all that, and he's got the New York indictment as it is, and that trial happens in, in I believe, in, 
is it in February or March? One way or the other, that trial is taking place before the election. And that is, that is a criminal uh, offense situation. Okay, Donald's lawyers will do anything. Donald, we, we just remember, Donald will do anything. Donald will break any law. Donald will, 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 will bypass the Constitution. Donald will do anything at this point and has been willing to do anything for a long time now to protect his own ass and serve his own interests. So, so always think in extremes. Think in the extreme about anything and any reaction he will have. It should come as no surprise that yesterday was a return date uh, for, a, uh, for, a, uh, for, a, for a statement, for a reaction on the part of Trump's lawyers to a request by the government, by Jack Smith and his, and his group, to set the trial date for some time in, in December of this year. What did Trump's people come back with? No, 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 no. We can never be right. We got so much else going. Well, we got so much going. We got the, the earliest you could set this trial is going to be after the election in November of 2024. Uh, no, but you see, now, now, now this is, and we haven't gotten a reaction. This, you're going to hear this very shortly. And this is going to start setting the table for how things are going to play out. So I, I, I'm, I'm saying this. I wish I had more. I wish I had the answer to the question I'm going to pose, or I wish, or or the scenario that I'm about to to lay out, because it'll affect a great deal going forward, and I think it's going to affect Georgia's decision going forward also. If if if, if Eileen Cannon, who's already been, who's had her butt kicked uh, by the appellate uh, the appellate sir, the appellate group within the 11th circuit uh, with the earlier decisions she had about uh, you know uh, a special master and all that stuff for the for the uh, secret documents and how she was completely out of her league and who everyone knows has not a whole hell of a lot of trial experience but suddenly going to find herself having to handle a case that has all of these national security implications and really requires a certain amount of expertise if for some reason she decides to go along with the post-election date requested by uh, the Trump lawyers, you know we're in for some trouble. Because that's going to not only trigger huge responses on the Democratic side, huge responses in terms of the political and electoral implications it'll have in the campaigning going forward. But it's also going to ele elevate the, uh, the review of the courts that is so bubbling and burning and the whole Clarence Thomas thing and the Alito thing and all the crap and all the influence peddling and the way in which, the way in which uh, Mitch McConnell basically kept Merrick Garland from having a hearing under, under, under uh, Obama and everything that led us to this insane situation we find ourselves in with a totally political court that's nothing but a, uh, a hyper-Republican legislative function, completely in defiance of what the Constitution had anticipated. That's going to trigger that all the further. That, in turn, to me, I think, is going to propel someone like Fannie Wills down in Georgia, in Atlanta, 
to move quicker, not slower, in terms of bringing that case. It will propel Jack Smith to go all the quicker in bringing the next case with the basically the January 6th related information. It is going to be a pile so high and looking at the people who are protecting Donald from himself and the accusation will be able to be made with absolute certainty that these people are just helping him, giving him the one, one little hope he might have of, of getting out of the whole thing, pardoning himself, and even if he loses, which he will, basically letting us go through the entire January 6th scenario or some equivalent of it, and it would probably have to be worse to make it even have a chance of working. We're going to have to go through that all over again. This is the easiest political argument to make on in history. And much of it will ride on what Eileen Cannon does, and she may be, she may give her decision as her, she should be giving it. I thought she was going to decide last night when the papers were in. She should have had it in her mind when she thinks the case should be. Uh, knowing full well that the Trump lawyers are simply going to say, uh, let's move it into uh, uh, the next millennium. I mean, you know, come on. So when she decides, that sets the next wave of American political history, the absurdity, the current absurdity of American political history moves on and moves underway. I'm, I'm, by, by this time, by our Friday show, when I have David Bach with me, we'll be discussing that decision by, on Cannon's part and further the implications that that will have on our American political system, the, the, the absurdity that goes, that passes for a political system right now in this country, and what it'll take for us to regain our self-respect and the respect of the planet, and, and, and the dichotomy between Joe Biden as world leader on the NATO stage, the world stage, reasserting the value of an America that has largely been abandoned by the Republican Party with no connection to, no sense of, no desire to be affiliated with, simply out of need to be pandering and groveling at the feet of an indicted, disgraced criminal. That America of the Republicans and the America that I believe in my soul most Americans want to be, the vast majority of Americans want to be a part of. Literally, the, the, the shining city on the hill. That's where Joe Biden sees us being and, and where we should be imagining ourselves. Our economy uh, deserves it. Our recovery from COVID uh, militates towards it. It's moving in the right direction. We have everything going for us except the fears of a bunch of people who got co-opted and don't know how to get out of their own way. The defeated, the destroyed, the absolutely impotent Republican Party that must destroy to survive. There is nothing to build. They can't. They are the essence of entropy and it's accelerated entropy. And much of that, and much of whatever it will be, however they'll play out, it will begin 
there'll be a major boost in the, there'll be a fuel injection depending on the strength of what Eileen Cannon says, depending on when she sets the Trump, the Trump trial for the Mar-a-Lago documents. If she actually is stupid enough, senseless enough, influenceable enough, if she's Clarence Thomas-ish enough, if she's, if she's Alito-ish enough, and dare I say it's becoming almost Roberts-ish enough, if she's that dumb and that insensitive to the American people and the needs of the country and our Constitution and our history and our norms, then she'll basically really, really put the pedal to the metal for the entropy portion of the Republican Party as it exists right now. She will begin the final phases of demise. But where that leaves us <laughs> politically and presidentially in every other way, I have my thoughts. But there, there's just so much uh, prognostication uh, worth making, or reasonably worth making at this point. So everybody, listen to this show, listen to what we're talking about here, but be sensitive and be aware of what Eileen Cannon says is the uh, trial date for the Mar-a-Lago documents case. It's going to have a major impact on everything going forward. Um, when, when, when we get so profound and so impactful and so aware of all... You know, at some point, oh, geez, I'm having, I'm having as tough, this is not my day. I'm, I'm having as tough a time getting out of this frame of reference into where you know I'm about to go. I, I'm, I'm doing as badly as I did on the front end. <laughs> why don't I stop trying to make this, why don't, why don't I stop trying to make this a cute sandwich? A cute sandwich. I'm not going to be cute. I'm just going to say, and I mean it, for all of our sakes, Sit back, kick back, put up your feet, and enjoy a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make Center Left Radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. We're looking at two entirely different images of America. Joe Biden at the NATO conference, bolstering who we are, showing world leadership, being the America so many of us have known all our lives and want to continue knowing. And Donald Trump negotiating for time for one of his criminal trials so that he might be able to free himself. Which is the real America?